This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the conversation here on The Young Turks. I love doing this, and part of why I love doing this is, is because of the, actually, it's the only reason I love doing it. Let's be serious. The interesting people that we get to talk to on the conversation, and we get to do it in a way that isn't just a quick question and out. Today, we are joined by Benjamin Crump. Ben is the uh, is a, an attorney, and he is probably a, a sadly familiar name, because when, uh, when we hear about Ben in the news, he is generally talking about a case, a tragic case uh, of, uh, in, in most cases, a minority who has been gunned down, uh, just generally speaking, for being uh, a minority. And, and in most cases, they, these are African, young African-Americans. He first came uh, to national prominence anyway uh, during the Trayvon Martin case, the, the murder of Trayvon Car uh, Martin by George Zimmerman back in 2012. And now here we are still talking about some of the same themes, want to know what has changed. We want to know uh, how he approaches cases in a different way. And then also an update on some of his past cases, perhaps. Benjamin Crump, welcome to T. Thank you so much, Michael, for having me, and thank you for all these many years still fighting to use your platform to give a voice to the voiceless. I always thank Jink and you all with Trayvon because you all started covering it hard before the mainstream media started covering it, and for that I have been eternally grateful to the Young Turks. You know, I, I appreciate that, Ben. I appreciate it on, on Jack's behalf as well. If there's one thing that we are most proud of, it's generally telling those stories, the voice of the voiceless, uh, telling people about um, what is happening in places that they're not going to be heard. And, and you know, being that megaphone is, is a nice thing, even though it often, and especially in cases like the ones that you uh, represent, it often isn't uh, great news that we're talking about. Let's, let's talk about the story of the day you're representing the father of Ahmaud Arbery. Uh, and, uh, you know, what we're seeing here are patterns that we've seen in the past. To, to a layperson, what do they do? They tear down the reputation of the person who is deceased. That uh, that was the case with Trayvon Martin. That's, that, that's the case here today. It was the case in Ferguson, Missouri. Uh, what is it that you do to defend against that, the, the sort of the character assassination after the fact? Absolutely, Michael. And Ashley, uh, I'm representing the family along with attorney Lee Merritt. So we're making a united front. His mother and father are coming together, standing for justice, even though they are uh, separated. Right. And, and I just wanted to clarify that because it's important that people know they are together. They are united because they both love their child and cannot believe he was lynched in 2020 and that his killers got to be free for more than 10 weeks. Um, and so, Michael, when we think about these Black Lives Matter cases, because in most of the instances, it is young African-Americans or uh, Hispanics that are being killed by police or quasi-police authorities, 
are these stand your ground type cases with white people who are confronting and uh, trying to impose their will on people of color. And so when you think about the picture, it's always the same. It's these individuals who felt that they were entitled to confront people of color and make them submit to their will, whether it's Trayvon Martin, whether it's Michael Brown, whether it is uh, Ahmaud Aubrey. I mean, it's so many of these cases we hear these vigilantes, even though we can't call them vigilantes, Michael, because the people like Ahmad and Trayvon committed no crime. They did no wrong. Uh, Marquise McGlockton in uh, Pinellas, Florida, you know, the guy said that they parked in an alleged handicapped parking space and he's going to uh, be, take the police power and make the black people submit to his will. And he shoots Marquise McGlockton in front of his three children, his five-year-old son, his three-year-old daughter and his one-year-old son. And it's such a tragic, sad case because as he's shot, he stumbles back into the convenience store and his five-year-old son is reaching out to his father. His father falls right before his feet. And at that point, that is the last time he's ever saw his father alive on this earth. And what do they do in that case? The same thing they did in Trayvon, same thing they're doing in Ahmad. They try to say, oh, he had ecstasy in his system as if that had anything to do with this guy shooting and killing him. Just like with Ahmad, they come back and dig up and leak a tape from 2017. And they literally try to make him seem like he is not worthy of the consideration that people have been giving him saying that he was a person who deserved humanity because he dared to confront the police in that video and say that you have no right to harass me and you don't have a right to search my car. I am not going to give up my constitutional rights against an unreasonable search and seizure. So that's what you have in note in that video he gives his uh, driver's license. He's very respectable initially, and he's hoping, at least from the video, that I complied everything. Why are you continuing to harass me? They meant it for bad. I, I'm a, uh, I was brought up in a religious background, my grandmother and mother. When they meant it for bad, God meant it for good, because what I think that video demonstrates is the everyday struggle that black people have to deal with in America from being profiled and harassed by law enforcement. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, too. Uh, you talk about being religious and you talk about the examples that uh, and learning from example that the Bible speaks of. So so, you know, consistently when when you look back now, um, still eight years later, representing uh, the same type of family and the same type of crime. I mean, they're certainly related. What makes Benjamin Crump better now because of what he learned in his past? What are the lessons of Trayvon and some of these other cases that make you a better attorney in representing these families now? Well, certainly, Michael, we don't take anything for granted that the system will work for us uh, P 
people of color because the one thing we saw in Trayvon was the lack of what we believe was defending Trayvon's life and dignity and his honor like we so often see when the victims are white. Uh, and we have to make sure they see the humanity in our children. We have to make sure that they understand that even if our children aren't perfect, they're our children and they still are American citizens and they still deserve equal justice under the law. So when I think about uh, Trayvon Martin and you know, we won the civil case and we did everything we were supposed to do, but we have to push the prosecutors. We have to give them resources. We have to tell them how to portray uh, a black life. We have to tell them that this jury is going to come in this courtroom with a bias against this African-American. And you have to speak to that. And we have to re-educate them because they may have a bias against black people. They may think that, oh, there must be some justification to justify this unjustifiable killing because really the black person couldn't be as wholesome or good as people are making him out to be or making her out to be. And that is a problem because oftentimes white people are always given that benefit of the doubt given the benefit of consideration, given the benefit of possibility when a prosecutor is prosecuting a person for taking their life, especially if it's a person of color, because as I articulate in my book, Open Season, The Legalized Genocide of Colored People, I talk about the easiest way to get on death row in America is to be a person of color and to kill a white person. And the second quickest way to get on death row in America is to be a person of color and to be accused of killing a white person. And when you just oppose that, Michael, and it is a uh, white person killing a person of color, there is no guarantee that they'll even go to prison, much less the death penalty. And because of these racist Jim Crow stand your ground laws, there's no guarantee that they would even be arrested. They kill people in our community and go home and sleep in their beds at night. You know, it's uh, it's uh, one of the things I, you know, in preparing for this interview, I wanted to ask you was what is encouraging? And there isn't much when, you know, I, I'm sure you've read and probably met uh, several times Fred Gray, who is still alive, still in Montgomery, Alabama. He represented Rosa Parks in 1955, now 65 years ago, uh, and represented Dr. King and many others since then. And he talks about just what you said. I mean, it would say, you know, he, he talks about how you have to go into it knowing that the people who will be judging you do not think the way that a black person thinks in America. And that's the hardest part of it. And then I hear you saying the same thing. And man, it's this much later, this much farther down the road, yet what's encouraging? What should we be happy about? I was gonna say, and I'll let you answer, but I just thought of this, that so many more people can name these victims now. They're not just a, a black woman in so-and-so got this, a black man in so-and-so got this. These are names that we know now, and we know them well, we can recite them, we hear people saying, say their name, and we say their names. Is that the only thing? There's gotta be more that's encouraging, Ben. 
Well, there's more that's encouraging. And uh, I, I just thank you so much, Michael, for mentioning Fred Gray. He's a tremendous man, uh, a mentor and fraternity brother, and just a great overall human being besides being a great civil rights lawyer. And uh, we need to always give him reverence when we get an opportunity. Uh, but I was talking to my good friend, Teslin Figueroa, and we were talking about what has changed. And I do believe Trayvon, because with your help and so many people, it was the number one news story in the world in 2012. And it really raised the conscious level that Black Lives Matter in America. And because of that, we are keenly more aware of these tragic killings of Black life, even if a lot of the police officers are escaping accountability. But you do notice that it's changing. And I, I can only cite the last three high-profile cases that I've worked on. Corey Jones, the church drummer that uh, car was broke down on the side of the road in Palm Beach, Florida uh, at 3 o'clock in the morning, and you literally had an undercover police officer in plain clothes, jeans, t-shirt, baseball cap, and a cargo van come as perpendicular to him, like a T-bone, in the middle of the night. You can imagine how vulnerable you are at that time. And he literally uh, gets out of the car and says, uh, what's going on? Uh, Corey, not knowing who this person is because he never identified himself as a police officer who was a registered gun owner, picked up his gun to show him and said, we don't have no problems. And then the police officer, still without identifying himself, said, oh, hell yes, we do, and said some other uh, profane uh, words at Corey. Corey had a gun, never shot his gun once, took off running. The police officer emptied his gun, hitting Corey two times, killing him, and then called 911, lied about it, shot the gun some more times, and but for the tow truck company recording the call because Corey was on the phone, he would have gotten away with murder. Well, in that case, literally, an all-white jury in Palm Beach County found that police officer guilty and sent, he was sentenced to 25 years, the first time a police officer had been guilty for killing a black person in the state of Florida in 35 years. So that was hope. And then Botham Jean, obviously, when the white policewoman went into the apartment and uh, the wrong apartment and killed Botham Jean, uh, Amber Geiger tried to say self-defense and, you know, the judge kind of allowed, literally, her to make that argument of uh, self-defense, uh, the castle doctrine, uh, which is a version of self-defense. And the problem, Michael, was it wasn't her castle. It was Malcolm Jean's castle. But thank God the jury didn't buy it. And so she was convicted and sentenced and the punishment didn't fit the crime. She only got 10 years, but they did convict her. And then in the aforementioned Marquise McLaughlin's case, 
in uh, Pinellas County, Florida, that's the St. Petersburg, Florida area, it was an all-white jury there who sentenced that vigilante for killing Marquise McGotton in front of his children, did not by his stand-your-ground argument, and he got sentenced to 20 years. So there's some hope, you know, but it's, it's waning because then you think of Alton Sterling, you think of Orlando Castile, you think of Eric Garner, you think of Terrence Crutcher, you think of 12-year-old Tamir Rice, you think of Sandra Bland, you think of Pamela Turner, and, and now uh, we're talking about Ahmad, but also there's Breonna Taylor in Louisville, Kentucky, and I always want to say her name because I'm not certain that black women get the same kind of uh, attention that black men get when they're killed by the police, and so I keep telling everybody who will listen, if you ran for mod, you got to stand with Bree because Breonna Taylor was executed in her own apartment in the sanctity of her home by three Louisville Metropolitan Police officers doing a botched, I believe, dangerous, unconstitutional, no-not warrant execution. And so let's keep saying her name and keep saying Pamela Turner's name. Right. And, and what, you know, an interesting part of that case is, is this whole idea of, of stand your ground. They use it when it's convenient. But if someone else is standing their ground as they were in their home, oh, my God, you can't say stand your ground. Can you that? You, you cannot. And I would tell you, Mike, if I can, and I'll try to do it in two minutes. But it's such a astonishing fact. The fact when you look at Ahmaud Arbery and you look at Breonna Taylor, these two very high-profile cases that happened within 10 days of one another, and you get to... Just to interrupt, that was this March. That was in March of 2020 that both of these happened. Yeah, well, uh, right. February 23rd. February. And Brianna, yeah, and then... March yeah, that's true. Right. Yeah. yeah, During the coronavirus. Right, during the corona, but not in the same month, but they were 10 days apart in the... Yeah, yeah, in the, yes, one was in March. Yep, yep. And Michael, what is astonishing about it, and I have a unique perspective because I am an attorney on Ahmaud Aubrey's case and an attorney on Breonna Taylor's case, is the fact that when you think about uh, Ahmaud Aubrey's killers executed him in broad daylight for jogging, I mean, it's on video. And the police get on the scene they have all of that evidence. They have the video. They have a land dead on the ground. He has no burglar's mask, no burglar's tools, no burglar's uh, uh, bag. But yet they say, oh, he was committing a crime and we were trying to capture him and it was self-defense. And the police don't arrest him. Let them go home and sleep in their beds at night peacefully for 10 weeks. And then you just oppose that with Breonna Taylor. She is in her bed, sleeping after working a, a shift, a full shift. She's with her boyfriend, Kenny uh, Walker, and they are asleep. And the police execute this no-not warrant, even though they got the main subject of the search warrant in their custody. And both Kenny and Breonna have never been arrested in their lives, have never... Uh, committed a crime or anything, but yet they're executing this warrant and they use a battering ram to bust open her front door. 
Ken and Brianna called 911 thinking that their home is being burglarized. They think it's a home invasion, Michael. And so Kenny, who is a registered gun owner, I mean, no criminal history. He's trying to protect his castle. He's trying to protect his woman. He's trying to protect their lives. And so he has this gun and he creeps down the hall. He sees the first uh, guy come through the front door. He's not uh, in police clothes. They undercover. He, they haven't identified themselves. And he shoots one single shot. And then the police just unloads. They shoot bullets from everywhere. They shoot from the window. They shoot from the patio. They shoot over 25, 30 bullets. And quite literally, bullets go into a five-year-old neighbor's uh, hot room where she, the little girl's sleeping. And they, I mean, they just reckless, blindly shooting in this house. Brianna's body is mutilated with eight bullets while she's in her underwear. They confront Kenny Taylor. And he says, we thought you were all were burglars. We thought you were intruders. It was self-defense. They arrest him. They take him to jail. They charge him with attempted murder. And he's now facing life in prison. I have never seen such a stark, vivid distinction of self-defense in black and white in America as these two cases. It's amazing, right? Uh, standing their ground. Uh, we have very little time. I want to give you like a, a little rapid fire round here. Um, so I'm going to ask you and for quick answers on these because I want to know, A, people are asking me to ask this. So uh, Trayvon's family, how are they doing now? Do you stay in touch? I, I do. I just talked to Sabrina and Tracy today. Obviously, this, uh, this frivolous lawsuit, we believe, they are yeah. having to deal with that. So keep them in prayer. They're such good people. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, I want I want also uh, to talk about just a quick question. You know, you are always identified with these cases. I'm going to ask you not to be self-critical, but if nobody knows you and they see every time a black youth uh, of note and in a, a case of note comes up uh, as, as murdered or killed, um, tell me you know, then they, they see Ben Crump right there. How does that happen? And is that good for this type of, uh, of, of case in general? Well, you know, uh, Thurgood Marshall was my personal hero. So more lawyers need to get into this case. More lawyers need to represent them. Most of them just won't because they say there's no money in it. You know, people are going to criticize you. And at the end of the day, you know that the system is probably not going to give justice to these poor, marginalized people of color. But I believe it's better to strike a match than to curse the darkness. And I look at my daughter's eyes. She's seven years old, and I understand what we're fighting for. So we have to just keep going forward knowing that we're on the right side of history. And after speaking to Ben Crump, you understand why people, uh, when they're faced with the, 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 the most tragic and difficult parts of a life that anyone should ever, nobody should ever have to face it, but when they do, they want to get Ben Crump involved because of this passion that he has. And now also the lessons of some cases that went well and some that haven't, but still uh, pressing along, trying not to make uh, the Equal Justice Initiative have to add uh, more lynching notices in, in their place in Montgomery, Alabama, which I'm sure I'm guessing you visited, Ben. Uh, it's um, it's uh, really uh, too bad that we're limited to 22 minutes to talk about 
these things. But uh, I, I ask you to keep watching these cases, keep looking uh, at what's happening with the Ahmad, or with, with, with the Arbery case, uh, with Brianna, uh, with Pamela Turner. I mean, these are cases that we need to still talk about so that they get the attention that Ben Crump has been trying to get them for so long as well as the justice. Ben Crump, thank you for being on the conversation. Thanks for being on TYT. You're always welcome. Thank you, Robert.